Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Philippians chapter 3, and while you're turning there, I'm going to ask you two questions, two very different questions which should have the same answer, and I'm going to switch mics here, Linda. Question number one, how do you respond to the victories in your life, the successes, the accomplishments? And question number two, how do you respond to the failures in your life, the defeats, the letdowns? Those might seem like two very different questions, and in many ways they are, but they should have the same answer. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. And let me just go ahead and read the first half of this chapter. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, Beware of the concision or the circumcision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And now he's going to give us his resume, the things in his past, which many would consider victories and others would consider spiritual failures, but he says in verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But the good and the bad, what things were gained to me, Those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, And the fellowship of his suffering, speaking of the cross, being made uh, conformable unto his death. Nothing comfortable about the death of Jesus. But we are conformed, we're to be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, here's where I want to start to zero in on how we should respond to the things in our past, whether they be victories or failures, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Faith moves forward. Many times our victories can become roadblocks. We don't want to move on when we have a great success in our life. We don't want to move on from it. We want to, we want to linger there on the mountaintop. But faith is always moving us forward. Forgetting the things that are behind. Not being bound to them. When we have a success in our life, when we have a victory, that should become an altar of worship, not an anchor that holds us to the past. But likewise, as we'll see tonight, turn with me to Genesis chapter 27, Genesis 27. Likewise, when we have failures, those failures are not to be a bear trap that locks us into that place of pain and holds us to our past and binds us to our failures. Those likewise, by the grace of Jesus Christ, we need to forget the things that are behind and faith moves us forward towards what lies ahead. If we are a child of God, our hope is not in what we have done or what we have failed to do. Our hope is in what Christ has done and what He has promised to do. And we're going to look tonight at a fractured family that was mired in failure. And yet we're going to see how, by the grace of God, Jacob and even tonight Isaac was able to move past that, to move by faith through the fallout of their failures. And make no mistake, the entire family was mired in failure of the moment. And to see God working and moving us forward to what He has in store. Now, when we were together last time, last week, of course, we had our quarterly business meeting. But two weeks ago, we looked at the event in Isaac's life where he was deceived by Jacob. And why was he deceived? Because he has set his heart against what God had ordained. God had decided from the womb that Esau was to serve Jacob. And in fact, though Isaac had not yielded to that commandment, Esau had willingly sold his birthright to his brother. He had, the Bible says, despised it. He sold it for a, a bowl of soup. And Now listen, I've had some good soup. Okay? There's, there was a lady, uh, uh, my brother-in-law was a, a youth pastor for a short while in um, Christiansburg. Virginia, and there was a lady, actually it was the pastor's wife, sweet lady, she made the best minestrone soup I've, I've ever had, is amazing, but listen, I don't care how good the meal, I don't care how good the soup, he sold his right as the firstborn that his father was giving to him, even though God had already said, no, 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 I'm going to give it to Jacob, but he sold what claim he thought he had, let's put it that way, he sold it for a bowl of soup he despised it and yet even so Isaac because of the hardness of his heart was intent on blessing and giving the blessing to Esau even though God had already ordained and we know that he was hard 
hearted and bullheaded because he didn't even tell his wife he was going to do it. This major event in their family's life, this transition of the blessing from Isaac to, he thought, Esau, and he didn't even tell his wife it was going to happen. It was a big secret because he knew what he was doing was wrong. And so he blessed Esau, he thought, only to find out that his hand was actually resting on Jacob, who was disguised as Esau. So we, see, we saw Isaac's failure. We saw Rebekah and Jacob's failure when they, instead of appealing to God, instead of taking their cry to the Lord, they thought, no, 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 we got this one, God. We, can, we don't need to pray about this. We got this. We don't need your help, God. We got this. And so they came up, Rebekah came up with her plan that she would disguise her son Jacob as his twin brother Esau. And even though he couldn't get the voice quite right because of his father's illness or, or the, the uh, eyesight, his, his lack of eyesight that was the result of his, his poor health, uh, it seems to be the implication from Scripture. Uh, he wasn't able to quite pull off everything, but it was good enough uh, to fool Isaac. And then, of course, we, we see uh, Esau's failure as well. Now, I want to pick up where we left off last time we were together here. And let's just look again at verse 30 as Jacob has tricked his father into blessing him, into laying his hands on him and blessing him. And now Jacob is out the tent door and it's still fluttering in the breeze as Esau comes in. And so Genesis chapter 27, it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob and Jacob was yet scarce gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting, and he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me. If you've ever been so distraught or so tired, so anxious that you literally shook, you understand what Isaac is going through here as he realizes what has happened. And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. What shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be. Now the King James does not capture the Hebrew here. And it's important that we understand what Isaac is actually saying in the Hebrew, because if you read this in the King James, it sounds like he's giving the same blessing to Esau as he just gave to Jacob, and that's it's the exact opposite. There's a, a little Hebrew word that doesn't get conveyed in the King 
James, and it's the word that basically translates away. Away. So what he's actually saying here in the Hebrew is, Behold, thy dwelling shall be away from the fatness of the earth, and of, away from the dew of heaven from above. In other words, he's saying, Esau, there's nothing for you here in Canaan. The blessing that I've bestowed upon your brother is here in this land, and there's nothing left for you here. You're going to have to find your blessing from outside of Canaan. It's not going to be here for you. And by the sword shalt thou live. You're going to be uh, vagabonds. You're going to be raiders. You're going to be mercenaries. And thou shalt serve thy brother. It shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And there were several seasons of time in Israel's history where Esau's descendants, the Edomites, did break free of, of uh, Israel's rule or out of their authority, but those uh, times of freedom uh, were short-lived. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Now, let's talk about Esau's failures for a moment. We've already talked about his despising of the birthright, trying to claim the blessing that he had already sold to his brother because he knew his father loved him more and his father was going to, against God's revelation, was going to bless him anyway. And so he's all prepared to take what he has sold back to himself. And now because he has lost, he is now projecting all of his guilt onto his brother. He's projecting all of his anger onto his brother. The person that he should be angry with is himself. The person that he should be angry with is his own selfishness, his own foolishness. Remember what we said two weeks ago. If we, we're not, we're not going to go through and do all the math, but if you take all the numbers that are given to us, the ages of, of, of these patriarchs at different times in in the book of Genesis at different events in their life, and you plug in all the numbers, you'll find that here in Genesis 27, you'll find that Jacob and Esau are 77 years old. Now they're going to go ahead, they're only about halfway through their life, okay? So they're going to go ahead and live a whole lot longer than we do when we're 77 years old. This is at a time when men still live for more than 80, 90 years. In fact, some of them live 150, 170, 180 years. And so they're still, even though they're 77, they're still middle-aged. But my point is that these are not kids. These are not teenagers that we're talking about here. Some of you might have seen a, a, a cartoon or a, a, a dramatic interpretation of this that ignores the math. And we tend to think that these are young guys here. They're not young guys. These are men. These are men, and Esau is blaming his brother. Now, I, I want to do a little bit of Hebrew here because the, the word Jacob, Jacob, literally in the noun form, literally translates as heel, as heel, as in, not as heel as in bad guy, okay? Or, or uh, you know, the wrestlers, you have, you have the face and you have the heel. 
We're not, not that kind of heel, but this kind of heel. The heel of your foot. And why was he called that at birth? Because when his brother was born first, that as a, even as a baby, that hand came out of Rebecca and grabbed his brother's heel. And so they called him heel. They called him heel. The name Jacob literally translates from the Hebrew word heel in the noun form. In the verb form, it means to grab the heel. So to advance beyond. In other words, it's to grab somebody by the heel and to pull them down. Have you ever seen a, a movie where, where two guys were fighting and one of them thinks the other's beaten and he starts to walk away and the guy grabs him by the heel and pulls him back down? That's the picture of Jacob, to pull, to pull back, to pull on the heel. But notice that what Esau does is he changes the meaning of his brother's name. See, if you ask people today, what does the name Jacob mean? Oftentimes they will say either supplanter or deceiver. And in fact, I, I would guess if you would go to some, some of those name dictionaries and you look, you say, what does the name Jacob mean? It would say supplanter or deceiver, but that's not actually what the word literally means. That's what the word has come to mean. Not because God defined it that way, but because his brother Esau redefined his brother's name and accused him of his own sin. Unconfessed sin always leads to reassigned guilt. When I don't confess my sin, I blame shift. See, I can only feel guilty for so long before I harden my heart. And what happens when I harden my heart? That guilt, that guilt doesn't evaporate, it doesn't disappear, it's got to move. And so oftentimes you'll find when somebody knows that they're guilty, but they don't want to confess it, they harden their heart and they say, no, no, I'm not guilty. I am justified. But the guilt has to go somewhere. So they shift it to somewhere else. They shift it to someone else. It's not my fault. We live in a society of this, right? No, it, nobody, it's nobody's fault. We're all, we're, we're, none of us are guilty for what we've done, but we're all guilty for what our ancestors did. It's, it's an absolute moral insanity that comes from a society that does not want to embrace the confession of sin. And so we blame shift. This is what we get, as we said two weeks ago, from our father and mother, Adam and Eve. God, it was the woman that you gave me that started all this. Well, God, it was the serpent. He's the one who tricked me. It's not my fault. And we blame shift to try to escape the guilt. Notice also the other failure of Esau is the same failure as Isaac. He thinks that his father is about to die. His father is nowhere near death. He's sick. He might seem like he's about to die. But he's making decisions based on his fears or based on his assumptions, not based on reality. In fact, Isaac is going to live for another 43 years. He's going to live for another 43 years before he actually dies. And so we begin to make decisions based on our assumptions and not based on the facts, not based on reality. Now, what's the response to this? Notice in verses 42 through 46, mama's got a new plan. Mama's always got a plan, right? 
And here's Rebekah's new plan. Verse 42, in these words of Esau, her elder son were told to Rebekah. So somebody snitched. Somebody overheard Esau, one of the servants apparently, overheard what Esau was taught because he, he was telling people. He was telling his, his circle. He was making plans. He's, he's plotting the, the murder of his brother. And he's saying, Here, oh, he's, he's just, he's imagining, he's, he's soaking in the hate. Here's how I'm going to do it. Here's what, I, here's what I'm going to use. And I just got to wait till dad's gone. And then I'm going to swoop in. Doesn't care about his mom at all. No thought for his mother. None. No words for his mother. Some of that's mama's fault. Some of that's because mama didn't love Esau like mama loved Jacob. And Esau didn't love Jacob like, uh, or excuse me, Isaac didn't love Jacob like he loved Esau. And so we have, as a result of that, we have this fractured family. But she hears about it. Somebody, one of the servants is smart enough to know, I better tell the matriarch, I better tell mama what's going on here. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, hey, pay attention, wake up. Thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Don't think because your brother hasn't knocked you on the ground that he's okay and that he's over this. Don't think that because he sold you the birthright that he didn't really care about the blessing all that much. Don't think that because he hasn't had words with you that it's all in the past and you got away with anything because, Jacob, uh, he's trying to come up with the perfect plan to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him just a few days. <laughs> not, I'm not sending you away. Look, let, let's give him some time to cool down until thy brother's fury turn away and until thy brother's anger turn away from thee and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? Because she said, I know what's going to happen if Esau kills you, he is, he is committing suicide as well because he is going to, he is, knows that by law, if he kills his own brother, he will be sacrificed himself. And that's, he's at the point where he does not even care. He says, she said, I can't lose both of you in the same day. So don't, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. You need to leave. Notice where Esau learned how to blame shift. Whose idea was this? Whose plan was this? This was her plan. What did she say back in verse 13? Look, look just a few verses back in verse, verse 13 when Jacob said, uh, Mom, I don't think this is the best idea. His mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch Jacob, don't worry, I'll, ta I'll take the blame until it's time to take the blame. And then Jacob, you know what you did, right? Never mind, I told you to do it. Never mind, I planned this whole thing. But he's mad at you because of what you have done. And you need to fix it by leaving. She convinces Jacob to take a temporary leave of absence. But see, Rebecca doesn't realize this this few days is going to turn into 20 years. And this is the problem, folks, when we start to make our own plans apart from God's leading. 
when we try to fix things in the flesh instead of prayerfully seeking God's will and God's leading. We think that we can keep the problem small. We think that we can hold the problem down. But what God has given us is the ability to make a choice. He has not given us the ability or the authority to determine the outcome of that choice. So you get to make your choices, but you do not get to choose the outcome of that choice. So Rebecca thinks, oh, I can, I can control the situation. And instead, she's going to be separated from the son that she loves the most for 20 years because of the choices that she has made. And so again, I appeal to you as a reminder that our sin always has unintended consequences. Our sin will always have unforeseen consequences beyond our control. Solomon talks about this in Proverbs chapter 16. Let me just read you three Proverbs from that chapter. Proverbs 16 verse 1, the preparations of the heart in man. And the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Again, Solomon is saying, God lets you make your choices, but God determines the outcome of the choices that you make. Verse 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. We make our plans. God determines which of those plans succeed and which of those plans he, he chooses to cause to fail. Verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Even what we consider to be chance is ultimately governed and controlled by the Lord Himself. And so this brings us into chapter 28 where we see Isaac's firm command. Now notice verse 1, and Isaac called Jacob. Well, let's back up into chapter, uh, chapter 27, verse 46 and set the stage here because Rebekah said unto Isaac, see, uh, it's tragic because they're, they're a love story, but, but because of the favoritism they played over the decades, they, they are not the communicating husband and wife that they used to be. And she's still trying to control and manipulate rather than just tell the man of God the truth. Now, she has reasons not to trust him because he is not the faithful man of God he should be either. But it's, it's just a reminder, guys, that, that our marriage has to remain a priority. Communication has to remain a priority. We have to continue to grow together and, and not just live together, not just coexist together. And so she doesn't come clean with her, with her father. She says, with her husband, with, with Jacob's father. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. That part is true. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? She said, how can I convince Isaac to be okay? He's just blessed Jacob. He's just given him the land. He's just put the blessing of God upon him. How do I convince Jacob to send him away? I'll make him think it's his idea. I'll make him think it's his idea. So I'm going to take something that is true, but I'm going to misrepresent it. I'm going to spin it. I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that this is the reason that he needs to leave because I don't want him to marry. This, this part's true. 
but it's not the real reason he has to go. I don't want him to marry one of these Canaanite women. And so Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paden Aram to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father. Take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee. And thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing to Abraham to thee and to the seed with thee. And thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Paden Aram unto Laban, son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Jacob receives clear instruction concerning where to find his wife. Now, he's 77 years old. He's still single. Mom and dad have probably been thinking... He's never going to get married. And Isaac probably hasn't really cared because he thought, well, he's not going to have the blessing anyways. But now he's got the blessing. And now Isaac realized, well, I guess what? You know, I never thought of him as much of a man, but I guess he's going to have to go get a wife somewhere. And he can't get her here. So I'll send him away. Jacob is 77 years old. And the point here is not that we have to marry who our dad tells us to marry. That's not the point of this. The point is, Isaac is God's prophet. Yes, he is his father, but he is also the prophet of God. And the prophet of God has said, here's where you need to go to find your spouse. And friend, the prophets of God in the scriptures still give us those instructions today. The apostle Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, men, women, you need to not find someone from the world. You need to go to the church. You need to go to the family of God. And that's where you need to find your wife. That's where you need to find your husband. And friend, that's what we need to be communicating to our kids and our grandkids is God's declaration for Jacob, it came straight through his earthly father, but make no mistake, this is the prophetic word of God on his life. And so he gives him the second blessing here. Now listen, we're not going to take the time to unpack these tonight, but I just want to highlight very quickly these four prophetic promises that are again affirmed to Jacob by Isaac. And now Isaac has, here's, here's where we're moving forward, right? Isaac accepts that God has blessed Jacob. Isaac now accepts it. And so he's down with it now. He's not fighting God on this anymore. He's done fighting God. And Isaac is showing that we can move past our failures by accepting what God's Word says and beginning to live in accordance with God's Word. However old you are, whatever your failure has been, to get on board with what God has declared. And so he's going to bless him in four ways. Number one, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful. In other words, he says God's hand of favor will always and forever rest on Jacob. I was reading Dr. Fruchtenbaum's commentary uh, today on this passage. And Dr. Fruchtenbaum pointed out, quote, God is always positive about Jacob. 
And preachers should keep that in mind. See, it would be very easy for me to stand up here and bash Jacob. And we're going to, as we now transition from Isaac into studying the life of Jacob, we're going to see him fail and fail and fail and fail. But what I want to point out to you is that God never rebukes him. He is always blessing him. That doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline him. He does. In fact, God's going to leave him with a limp for the rest of his life. When we get, Lord willing, we'll get there. Doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline him, but God speaks favor and kindness and blessing over him, and he promises to make him fruitful. And notice number two, to multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. Jacob's, not just Abraham's descendants, but Jacob's descendants would be many. Again, dude's 77 years old. He's never even been married yet. He hasn't found, he's still looking for the one, right? I mean, I thought getting married at 41 was old, <laughs> okay? He's, he's almost twice as old as I was when we got married. He's still waiting for the one, still looking for the one. And to him, God says, you ain't got, you ain't got married yet, Jacob. But when you do, your descendants, just like I promised Abraham, will be a multitude. And notice also this point here. Notice he says they will identify themselves as not just Abraham's descendant, but your descendant. Your descendant. God's going to change Jacob's name. God's going to change it to Israel. And what do the descendants of Jacob call themselves today? Oh, yes, they're the sons of Abraham, but they are the nation of Jacob. The nation of Israel, just as God prophesied. And give thee the blessing of Abraham, number three, to thee and to thy seed with thee. The promises that God made to Abraham, we're not going to go back over them all tonight. But Jacob, they are applicable to you and to your children. And unlike Abraham, unlike Isaac, all of Jacob's children will have access to God's covenant now. All of Jacob's children. By the way, how do we get access to that? How do we get access to the covenant that God made to Jacob and his children? We get it through one specific descendant of Jacob named Yeshua, Jesus. And because he is the descendant of Jacob, and we come to him by faith and receive his grace, and we are able to be grafted in. We are able as wild olive branches to be grafted into what God is promising Jacob. Number four, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Again, the land of Canaan. Don't call it Palestine. The word Palestine means land of the Philistines. Do you know what the word Philistine means? It means invaders. When people try to be all woke and enlightened and call it Palestine, it's not, it's not Israel, it's Palestine. They are calling it, ironically, the land of the invaders. They are saying the people that they claim should have it are the ones who invaded the land. And it's God's little sense of humor as they rebel against God's command that they condemn themselves in so doing. It is not the land of Palestine. It is the land of Canaan. It is the land of 
Israel. It has been given to Israel. Not just heaven. Not just the spiritual land. That's how Hebrews applies that truth to to the Jerusalem that's coming. But God says the land belongs to them. Now, let me, as we close tonight, look at Esau's calculated response. Verses 6 through 9. Esau, the favored son of Isaac. Esau, who thought he had it all figured out, he sold the birthright, but he was going to still keep the blessing. I want all of the rewards... None of the responsibility. I'm going to pass off the responsibility part. And I'm just going to get the rewards. He had it all planned out. Now all of a sudden, Jacob has not just been blessed accidentally by his father, but now Isaac has submitted to God's will. And now he willingly, volitionally blesses Jacob, recognizing God's hand on his son Jacob. And now Esau is about to lose his status as daddy's favorite. So notice what happens next. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take him away from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, like his brother, twice. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padan Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Cain displeased not who? Isaac, his father. No mention of his mother. Who's the one who really couldn't get along with the girls? Mama. Mama couldn't get along with the girls. He didn't care about mama. He didn't care what mama didn't like. Because he wasn't mama's favorite. He cared about what dad thought. He cared about what his father thought. And so when he saw that his father was displeased by the daughters of Canaan, then went Esau unto Ishmael. Now Ishmael is already dead, but he's going to the house of Israel. He, Ishmael. He's going to the, the family of Ishmael. And he took unto the wives which he had, Mehalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebodoth, to be his wife. He took his cousin. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So what does he do? He chooses his cousin from the house of Ishmael because he figures, okay, he, wants, he doesn't want me to have a Canaanite wife. Well, I'll find... I'll find uh, someone who's a direct descendant of Abraham. And Hagar was not a Canaanite. She was Egyptian. So I got it all figured out how I'm going to be dad's favorite again. Got it all figured out. And so he takes a third wife. See, Esau is not repenting. He's not changing his heart He's just trying to compensate for his past failures. And in so doing, this is just, it's just another form of manipulation. It's not true repentance. What God is looking for is a change of heart. David would say after his great sin and his true repentance, God, 
you're not looking just for a sacrifice. God, you're not looking for me to try to pay you off for the wicked things that I've done. What you want is a broken and a contrite heart. And when my heart is broken, and God, you know it is, that you will not despise. I don't know what's in your past. I know what's in my past. But I know what we cannot do is try to just pay God off. Well, I did something bad this week, so I'll be extra good this week. Friends, this is not about karma. We don't preach karma here. We preach God's grace. And the only way to receive God's grace is through repentance. We receive saving grace when we recognize that we're a sinner who needs a Savior, that Jesus died for our sin, rose again, and that He's the one way. And we call upon the name of the Lord. We admit we're a sinner who needs a Savior. Ask Jesus to save us from our sin, and He does. He forgives us of all our sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, brings us into His family, gives us eternal life because of His life. But even as believers, we still stumble and we still fall. So what do we need? We need that serving grace. We still need to confess our sins. And He's still able and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He's not looking for us to just try to pay Him off with what we're doing. I'll give a little more on the plate this week because of what I did last week. No, no, no. What He wants is your heart. He doesn't just want an external change of behavior. He wants a change of heart. And as we're going to see, Lord willing, in the weeks ahead, we're going to see that Jacob's heart was changed. Not overnight. Not instantaneously. Not perfectly. But God persistently pursued him. Even to the point where they're going to have a wrestling match. And his life will be ever, forever changed and forever broken because of his repentant attitude towards God. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, that you are a loving Father who loves us enough to discipline our sin. God, not so that we can just make sacrifices to make it all go away, but God, so that we, through a repentant heart, can confess, can come boldly, to the throne of grace and find that mercy and grace in time of need. God, we praise you and thank you because of the work of Jesus that enables us, God, to not have to bring sacrifices of animals here tonight, but simply to bring our confession and our true repentance and to receive the forgiveness of sins, to move forward in faith into what you have in store. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me go ahead and mention a few of our prayer requests. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.